Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number nine of Conversations That Don't Suck. We have Yochai Maital on the podcast today, and I'm so excited because Yochai is the co-editor and senior producer of Israel Story, which is a really famous podcast that is produced um, in both Israel and the United States, but started in Israel and is sort of dubbed uh, the Israeli version of This American Life. And it's a really, really fantastic podcast. I really recommend you go listen to it, whatever your relationship to Israel is or is not. It's a beautiful storytelling podcast. Um, It's both in English and in Hebrew. And when I learned about Israel's story, and I go into this a little bit on the episode um, during the conversation with Yochai, but when I learned about Israel's story, I was like just searching through iTunes, like for nothing in particular. And I saw it and I like freaked out. I had no idea that this podcast existed and I was listening to some of it. And so I sent a video as I've talked about in previous episodes, whenever I get connected to somebody new, I'll, instead of sending them an email, I'll send them a video over email of me introducing myself to them and like saying hello and all of that. just feels a little bit more connective and a little bit more personal. And so I sent them a message in Hebrew and they were like, Kyla, like at totally let's talk um and i sorry i like am now embarrassed because i just spoke hebrew and i always get embarrassed when i speak hebrew um and so anyways they reached back out to me they said definitely like we'd love to be on your podcast and i honestly had like such a big fangirl moment because i just think what they're doing is so beautiful and so important and it was really special for me to get to talk to yochai and talk to him about the work that he's done with israel's story and his identity as an Israeli and just the deeply, remarkably, beautifully complicated place that Israel is and and the identity that that place has um, in general and also for me personally. This is something that a lot of people don't know about me, but I lived in Israel for a bit and I have Israeli citizenship and it's not because my parents are Israeli, they're not, Um, but I made Aliyah, which is what it's called when someone immigrates to Israel. Um, I made Aliyah uh, back in 2016 and I lived in Israel that year and I thought I was going to stay there like maybe forever. I didn't. I moved to San Francisco later. Um, But yeah, I was living in Israel and, and I definitely have a complicated relationship with Israel for a lot of reasons, but especially when it comes to my own identity of like, am I, am I an Israeli, um, I have a document issued by the state of Israel that says my nationality is Israeli, but does that make me an Israeli? Like, what makes me Israeli? I didn't join the military um, because I was a year too old once I moved there. Um, There's mandatory military service in Israel, if you don't know that. Um, So I didn't have to join the military, but I felt really conflicted about that. Like, this is the main facet of, I think the thing that connects most Israelis is is their army service, their military service. And I didn't do that, so I felt like I was missing out on something really huge. And... My Hebrew is really good, but it's not perfect. And like, that's also another piece of the identity for me is like, you know, I can't participate in every single conversation in the way that I want to. And anyone who is multilingual will, I'm sure, can uh, relate to that. It can be really frustrating when you can't express yourself exactly the way you want to in one of your languages. So anyway, I say all of this just to point out some pieces of my own journey with this conversation and with speaking with Yochai and with my own journey with Israel and with my identity as a Jewish person, as an Israeli person, as an American person. And um, I think this is the juiciest thing about conversations is conversations that allow both people or however many people are there to really explore a certain part of themselves in a way that they haven't before. And so hopefully you get a taste of that through what I speak about and what Yochai speaks about. Um, Yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. This is a really special episode to record. 
Uh, a couple other things I want to say, and this intro is going a bit longer than my other ones normally do, but a lot is happening, so here we go. I do want to say in this episode, there's a fair amount of background noise, and I'm really sorry. I tried my hardest to edit it out, and uh, it just didn't completely work. There, uh, You know, you can't edit out everything, um, so I apologize for the background noise. It's a little annoying to listen to, but um, this is the reality of podcasting across the world with people. It happens. So there's that. Um, Next thing I want to say is that, wow, coronavirus is really happening, everybody. Um, And um, the world is really uncertain right now. And I'm definitely feeling a whole, just a fuck ton of things. And I'm, uh, yeah, I've gone through like really hopeful, really fearful, really just crazy anxiety, um, like unable to stop scrolling through Facebook, reading post after post and article after article um and kind of going to apathy and going to fear and scarcity and back to abundance and all these things so I just want to name that and say that I love you and I'm here for you and this is I'm seeing just so much beautiful connection happening and so much banding together so much community happening and please let's continue focusing on that please let's continue moving towards community towards connection um and this is not to like uh what's the word not to diminish the seriousness of what's going on in the world but that like there is a serious opportunity for us to come together and to help one another to come together without actually physically being together please quarantine yourselves I think this is super fucking important I will just name that we should not be outside like as much as possible if you have the privilege of staying home then uh try that please um But anyways, one thing that I am doing is hosting an online connection event. If you are listening to this the day that this podcast was released on March 16th, then uh, I'm hosting an event tonight and you can find it on Facebook. Uh, I'm hosting a Zoom event, like an online connection event. I've facilitated a lot of connection workshops at conferences and both at my home here in San Francisco. If you have been there and have been with me during these connection nights, uh, think that exact same thing, but over Zoom. And so this will be a space for small facilitated groups of connection um, and also larger group um, points of connection as well. So that will all be highly facilitated if that helps you feel more comfortable with it. I definitely don't, my intention is not to throw people into a room and say, hey, everyone connect. Nope, it'll be highly facilitated. And that is something that I really love and enjoy doing. So um, please take part in that. You can find it on Facebook. If you just go to my Facebook, um, if you just like search Kyla Sokol Ward, there's only one of me in the whole world, which is pretty cool. And uh, you can find me there. You can, uh, it's a public event, so it'll show up even if we're not friends on Facebook. Okay, that's the last thing I'm going to say. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Yochai. I love you all so much. Please stay safe. Please wash your fucking hands and uh, enjoy the episode. Let's get into it. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. Hi, Yochai. Thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, how's it going? I'm happy to be here. Yes, so happy that you could join, that we get to talk today. I am thinking now just about when I found Israel's story, and I found it, I think, just like searching through iTunes, and I was so excited that... First of all, that there's a podcast about Israel. (laughs) How did you find us? Yeah, how did you find us? You know, I think it was just like on 
I don't know if it was like on new and noteworthy or I don't know if your podcast is new enough to be on there, but, um, Mm -hmm. it it was just on category. Yeah. And I just like saw it and I'm like, what? There's a, there's a podcast about Israel and it's not something that's like purely political. And I was so amazed. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And it was so exciting uh, to me. That's cool. It always seemed like a myth to me that people actually hear about your podcast through like uh through itunes and you know apple podcast reviews but i guess it's i guess it's uh true it really happens yeah it's i mean itunes really is just like an abyss of information and so it's it is amazing i agree with you um i'm really happy that i did um Mm -hmm. yeah i would love to hear so i know a lot about you but i would based on like your website but not from speaking with you one-on-one um and i would love to hear just like how you and Mishi and your whole team came through to create this amazing thing that is the the storytelling podcast that you have now um and and we can flow from there yeah sure so basically um we're we this uh, whole thing started uh, as sort of like a kind of like a, a love project of four childhood friends um Roy, Shai, Mishi and uh, myself um, Mishi and Roy went to, after the army, they went to college in the U.S. Um, and me and Shai were actually together in the army. We're, we were in the army for, I was an officer, Shai was as well. So we were in the army for like um, quite a long time, um, like seven, eight, nine years. Um, and um, when, when uh, Mishi and Roy came back from uh, the U.S., um, they, they had this sort of uh, idea to create an American version of this American life. Um, it doesn't sound like a great idea right off the bat. I mean, creating a, <laughs> you know, a version of something. It's, uh, uh, there's this uh, uh, famous, uh, you know, Sim- Lisa Simpson quote, I think. And she got into, I think she got into McGill or something like that. Is that in Montreal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's like very disappointed and people are, people try to, I, I, her mom, I think Marge is trying to console her that it's, uh, that it's like the Harvard of Canada. So she said, uh, you know, <laughs> any, anything that's the something of anything is the nothing of nothing. Something oh, like that. wow. So no, but, but actually, um, we, we like this idea. It, I, I was like an early, I really started listening to podcasts very early on when they, they were mainly actually um, on iTunes. It was mainly these lectures that these universities were putting up. So I love the idea of trying to do something in audio. And we just kind of got together. We didn't know anything about radio, honestly, or podcasting. This is about um, seven years ago. So we're talking about like 2013 or something like that. Um, podcasting mm-hmm. wasn't very big. It was uh, pretty much I mean, nobody in Israel knew what, pod- what a podcast was. Um, we, and we didn't, we didn't really know either. We didn't know how to make radio. Um, so with a little bit of like Israeli chutpah, we actually sort of wrote this American life. <laughs> we were like, hey, we want to try this thing out in Israel. Um, and it turned out that um, Nancy Updike, their senior producer at the time at least, um, was actually living in Israel for, for that year or two. Um, her husband was working on a book or something. So she was anyway, she was in Israel. And she was very nice, and she met us. Uh, she met with us uh, over like falafel, or I don't, I don't remember. I think actually it was like in a coffee shop in Tel Aviv or something. Um, and you know, kind of gave us a rundown of the basics, or you know, some some advice to to start off with. 
and then we just, you know, bought some simple gear. I think it was like a Zoom, uh, you know, a Zoom H4 and a bunch of uh, regular, like regular uh, um, dynamic mics. And um, we just started, uh, you know, went out and started looking for stories and recording them. Uh, I think it took us about a year to put together one episode. It was, yeah, I mean, because wow. that includes... I mean, there were all kinds of pitfalls we went down. I, like the first story I ever recorded was this crazy story about this um, uh, this guy who calls himself uh, King Kwazulu. And he's a, I mean, he lives in Israel, but he's African and he's a, kind of a musician and a rap artist and like a really cool guy. And um, somehow I, I heard about his story. He had this crazy story of sort of walking through Israel and coming through and, and be, after being raised in like a, in a, in a tribe in, in Africa. And he told me this whole crazy story. And I actually even like edited it and put together a draft of his journey through uh, like becoming a man in this tribe and then somehow um, walking to Israel. And I, I, I think by chance I had a friend from South Africa. I mean, he was living in Israel, but a South African friend in Israel who was like, hey, have a listen. And he listened to it. And then he reaches the, the part where he talks about his uh, coming of age ceremony where he talks about having to fight a gorilla or something like that. And um, he, he says that he comes from Zimbabwe and then he was talking about fighting a gorilla and the guy, my friend, South African, stops, stops the, the tape and he's like, you know that there are no gorillas south of the Congo, right? I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so so I, I, I ended up scrapping, actually scrapping that story. Um, so oh, you know, God. all kinds of these kind of things, and but uh, it took us a long time. But eventually, this, this is all in Hebrew. Yeah. Finally, we got we got our our first uh, episode together, and Mishi Mishi has a lot of uh, Israeli chutzpah. I'm, I I don't think this would have never happened without Mishi's Mishi's chutzpah. He was at some party, and uh, <laughs> um, and he saw the um, the head of Galatz, which is one of the big radio stations in Israel. Who um, just happened to see him there and recognized him. So he just walked up to him and uh, um, and told him, "Listen, I have this podcast, and I don't know why he had it. On. He had like the episode on on him, like on a on a disc. Um, I don't know if your mm-hmm. listeners still know what like CD ROMs are, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we know. Um, so yeah, so he just like basically like just as he was you know trying to take a borekas from the buffet or something, he like shoved the a disc a disc with our episode <laughs> into his hand." Um, and miraculously, instead of just like throwing that out the minute Mishi walked away or, or something like that, he actually passed that on to, to somebody in his, in the, in the station called Etianeta, who was like, she, she had this long time dream of also creating sort of the Israeli, this American life. And, and she listened to it and she was mm. like, wow, like this is, this is good. And we got a slot on the radio. It was like, what? You know, we were, we were really shocked that. At first, wow. there was um, like this uh, special, they did like a special for Hanukkah. So they aired like our first four episodes or something and they got good responses. And then they just, then they gave us a slot. Um, and so we kind of, uh, we're actually, it's interesting because even though we are a podcast, we have been um, on broadcast radio in Israel basically from the start. Uh, I mean, now, now we're actually in season. So our, our show is aired every Thursday evening. Um, which is kind of a primetime slot in, in Israeli radio because it's uh, Israeli radio. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the same in America. It, it, the rating all depends on the traffic. 
the people mainly listen to the to the radio on the yeah. car. So anyway, that's how our first season got started. Um, we got a lot of good responses. People were very, people in Israel were were kind of shocked by it because the um, the NPR style radio reporting um, doesn't really exist in Israel. You know, it's um, mm. almost all the radio, like really the vast, vast majority of it is um, just some host um, putting people on through the phone usually. Sometimes they'll come in. And also the style, the Israeli style of radio is basically, it's like a battlefield, you know. People go on the radio to fight with each other. And the host is trying to outsmart his interviewees. Mm. And the interviewees are trying to get a word in. And they're, everybody's speaking over each other. And everybody's yelling. We have some uh, great examples that we've made of, like, mashups of, like, what Israeli radio sounds like to people who I can send it to you huh. if you want to incorporate it later. It's just oh, yeah, people please. yelling at each other. And we wanted something that, we, obviously, we were looking for a much, you know, for a different feel. Something that would be more... You know, open people's hearts up to listening, to compassion, um, taking things slowly, um, complicating things. It was, it was, people were really intrigued by, by this new sound and, uh, and uh, it was well received. Um, and then following that season, we, um, we decided that it would be, there, there were a few reasons to do this, but we thought it would be, one of them was funding. I'm talking now about our transition to English. Um, that happened after our mm -hmm. first Hebrew season. Um, so we got some, it was like miraculously, we got some actually funding from uh, the Righteous Person Foundation, um, which is a, a Spielberg uh, foundation. Um, and they, they, they okay. decided to give us some uh, grants to do a, a mini season in English. Um, and that, was, that was sort of the first time this, there was any money in, this, in the show. And sort of the, when, when we started becoming a thing and not like a, you know, kind of a passion project, a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, and we collaborated, uh, after getting that grant, we collaborated with uh, Tablet Magazine, um, like an online Jewish publication. Uh, and together we mm -hmm. produced our, our first season in English. Um, and, you know, ever since then, we've, we've been at it. It's been a long road. It's already been, like I said, seven years. Uh, we've had a lot of highlights along the way. PRX has picked us up. So now we're like actually distributed by PRX to public radio stations all over the U.S. And we've had collaborations with like really big shows, which is also very exciting, like Radio Lab, um, Snap Judgment and 99% Invisible. So that was like, that was amazing. We had wow. all, all of a sudden we had an opportunity to actually like work and collaborate with our radio idols. Yeah. And now we're, we were just, we just finished wrapping up season four and we're in the middle of, like I said, of a season four in Hebrew and actually just got off the, got off from our, our pitch meeting for season five. We're already like working on thinking about what stories we're going to do for the next season. Oh my goodness. I'm, <laughs> that's actually a crazy story that like, that's like out of a movie that he like had the CD in his pocket and like the exact right person was available to basically like bring you all to where you needed to be. I mean, that beginning step yeah, at least, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's definitely to his credit. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I often, I'm, I'm like the type of person who's always like bashful and I would never do something like that. I'm like, you know, who am I and why would Yaron Deke, that, that's the, the, the head of the, mm -hmm. the, the biggest radio station in Israel, why would he, you know, even even have another glance at some something that I give him? But it's a, it's a good lesson for, for life, I think. You just 
hold yourself in high regard and just go for it. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, one thing that I've really loved about listening to several of the episodes is that like, it's again, it's this take on Israel as, you know, the same way that this American life does. It's this take on Israel. That's just like purely storytelling and purely about people's lives and just these really interesting, like super random, a lot of them like uh, perspectives on Israeli life. And um, it's so beautiful and so humanizing. And as someone who has like a very beautiful, passionate love affair with Israel, it makes me so grateful that there's a way for people to learn about Israel, um, even like including Israelis, um, for them to see all these different perspectives and hear all these different voices. It's really amazing what you all have done. Thanks so much. It's really, it's really, um, I mean, it means a lot. It means a lot to us. And um, that's what we're hoping really to, to enable people to, it's, it's also, you know, for me, I'll, I'll say this not, to me, this is really a, a lot about, you know, explaining things to myself as well about Israel because Israel is a very complicated place mm. and yeah and we love Israel we love Israel very much and it's like you know it's, it's our mother tongue it's our home um but at the same time there are a lot of things that are really difficult about living in Israel and all kinds of of um challenges that that poses and I think one of the one of the really amazing benefits for me uh working on this show is really the ability to leave your bubble and see Israel from different perspectives because it's not just for our listeners. I mean, if I didn't have this show, right? I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Tel Avivian through and through, yeah? We have, a, we, have, we have a bit of a conflict inside of our show because Mishi's a, definitely a diehard Jerusalemite born and raised wow. in Jerusalem and his heart is in Jerusalem. And, and to me, it's like uh, maybe one of the worst places in Israel, Jerusalem. I, I never... <laughs> I never recommend that people go to Jerusalem when they visit Israel. I say, just stick to Tel Aviv and Mishi, Mishi, will, Mishi will say the op- exact opposite. Um, but yeah. the point is that, that you know, as, as a Tel Avivian, okay, if I didn't have this show, I would probably be more or less stuck in my Tel Aviv life with my secular friends. Um, and that's, you know, that's the people who I, who I would interact with. But um, the fact that I, that I produced this show... Um, it gives me this amazing excuse to leave my bubble, leave my comfort zone and head out like physically and, you know, uh, also like spiritually, intellectually leave my, my space and go to all these other like settlements in the North and the South and all over Israel and people living as ultra Orthodox or as uh, Jews for Jesus or as uh, Samaritans or, you know, mm. Bedouins and really meet all kinds of different peoples and, and see the sort of the tapestry that makes up the country and it really enriches my life. So that's, mm. that's what I get from it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that there's, I mean, it's like hard to say because this is true of anyone anywhere in the world, just everywhere. We're all in our bubbles and um, yeah. And I think, you know, of course in Israel, that is also true. And I definitely, I lived in Israel for, a little while not a long while um but i was in haifa and like yeah very much feeling like i was in a bubble there and when i would go to tel aviv to hang out with where all my friends were living when i would go to tel aviv it was like i felt like i was in this like amazing cosmopolitan like i was like oh this is like what culture is and like i felt like this you know tel aviv was not the bubble and haifa was the bubble and so it's it's funny just like wherever you are that remains true yeah. um 
I'm curious, like, have there been stories, interviews, like people that you've um, come in contact with through doing this work that whose stories have just felt really confronting and uncomfortable and really like been challenging for you and for your team to to listen to and to um, like to produce and show to the rest of Israel type of thing? I think we the biggest challenge for us is is um, sort of staying apolitical and avoiding uh, avoiding that avoiding mm-hmm. that pitfall because um, you know on the one hand we want to complicate things and we want to tell stories and and in and of itself that is in a way a political statement because we're saying uh, you know we're totally. we're saying that everybody's a person and we're sort of humanizing all sides that's in a way it's a political statement but it's very important for us not to stay stuck in, in like I spoke about before, like stuck in our bubble, stuck in our perspective. So we, we do have to like reach out and then look for stories often, look for stories that of people who might have um, sort of radical, radically different point of views um, than we do. And um, sometimes that is a challenge. I think the way we try to deal with it is just by sticking to the sticking to the narrative, like understanding whether the story is compelling, regardless of whether we agree with the person or don't agree with the person. Um, I mean, if there, if there are elements in the story itself that are, that are challenging, that raise questions, then that's a, I see that as a good thing usually, because it means the listener will also, mm-hmm. will also be engaged and it'll, it'll make them think. I'm, I guess you want examples, right? I would love some examples. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying to think for a second. What might be good examples? I mean, the, the, the examples that are most, most fresh in my mind are, are like um, examples from our pitch meeting. So they're stories we haven't done yet, right? But we're talking about, should we do them? Shouldn't we? Um, so let's say there's the story that we were pitched by a listener, I believe, an artist. I think she's religious, studying in Shenkar, which is like a very... Uh, sort of liberal, liberal arts college in, um, in near Tel Aviv, in Ramad Gan. Uh, and she drew a painting of, uh, of a terrorist, uh, uh, actually an Arab-Israeli from Jaffa who, who killed um, a few people um, in a terrorist attack. And she drew a, a mm. portrait of him with a noose hanging around his neck. Uh, and... She was trying to make the statement that she believes that um, that we should reinstate the death penalty, hmm. and the, um, her painting was like was um, she was like shot down by her teachers, and it became this huge controversy. Um, and so we were thinking about this story: like, should we? On the one hand, you know, I don't particularly like this painting or the idea of this painting. On the other hand, it does raise an interesting topic, which is sort of the, um, the uh, where, where do we draw the lines on freedom of speech and freedom of expression? And also it sheds a light at how often in like actually very liberal spaces are actually in some ways very intolerant to other opinions. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it, this is like a dilemma. We, we haven't decided yet, but it's, it's a dilemma. Like, should we do this story? Should we not do the story? The lawyer who, rep- th- th- it turned into a court case, this thing. Uh, and the lawyer that represented her, mm-hmm. for example, I would not interview him because he's really, uh, he's called, the, he's someone called Ben Gvir. He's now running for parliament. And personally, I believe he's, he's a racist and I, I wouldn't, like there, there are lines, you know? So 
me personally, mm. I, I would not interview him and I wouldn't want any interaction with him. But uh, the story in and of itself of this painting and this girl trying to express herself and trying to live with like very right-wing views in a, you know, overwhelmingly uh, lefty liberal arts college, that's, that makes for a good story. Mm. You know, that makes for conflict. It makes for interesting human situation. So it has its merits and it has a lot of challenges as well. I'm curious if throughout the last seven years that you've been focusing so much on stories, has this changed the way that you, like, has this changed your relationships? Has this changed the way you are with strangers and you're just thinking of people sort of through the lens of stories? Has that changed for you at all? Well, for one thing, it's sort of like um, I'm married and I have like three kids. And during all of my wife's pregnancy, I always notice like whenever my wife is pregnant, all of a sudden it seems like everybody's pregnant. Um, like wherever, wherever I live, like, all, all, like half of the women are pregnant or something. And of course, this doesn't make sense, but I think like there's a certain bias when you're in a kind of a frame, certain frame of mind, you use, you project that on the world. So I think that um, when you're, when you sort of have your feelers out and your story antennas out there looking for stories, you tend to see stories everywhere. So I love, I love talking mm. to Uber drivers and often often i'll have like mm-hmm. fascinating conversations in, in uber uh, or cab rides or we'll just like stay in the car for another 10 minutes or something and talk um mm-hmm. i've heard some crazy stories that way um and i think it just makes you realize that really it's true that everybody has a story um not not everybody's you know stories as amazing or compelling not everybody's as good as telling it but Really, there are, there are stories everywhere and everybody has a story. Um, and it makes you, I think, appreciate more, I don't know, how difficult it is to be a human and, and how varied the perspectives are. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing, just that perspective that when we're of a certain state mm-hmm. of mind, then of course we're going to see that thing everywhere. It's going to appear to us. And yeah, one thing that I think a lot of people in the world could use a little bit more of is just looking at the world through the lens of of stories and humanizing all of us because yeah there's extraordinary i think it's very natural you know it's very natural i i think in some ways it's not it's not um i mean obviously for us it's maybe a slightly more extreme because it's what we do and we deal with people's stories every day so it's like really all all that's in our mind all the time but I think we all think in stories. I think it's just the way humans work or the way our brains are wired is to think in stories. Um, so I think it, it just really comes naturally. There's nothing like, uh, <laughs> it's not like being a, you know, a heart surgeon or something. Really, mm. I think second nature to most of us. What, what about your story? Like, do you feel like this is something that you've had a better, um, or not better, that's not the word I want, just a different perspective on on like your identity as an Israeli person or as a human being whatever category you want to put yourself into or not put yourself into um has that evolved for you as you've continued doing this work is my thinking about myself as an Israeli changed yeah like has your like your identity as an Israeli or just as a human being on the earth what like whichever feels more important to you like has that changed Mm -hmm. do you think that have you had a better a clearer perspective on your story as an Israeli, as a human being, whatever, um, as you've done this work? Look, I think the answer is yes. In general, the answer is that I think that um, this is, uh, I'm answering for myself now, not as like for the show, but 
I grew up in a, I grew, I was born in Israel and raised in Israel, but my parents are from North America. My father's Canadian and my mother's American. So I, I grew up in this house that was culturally actually sort of an East Coast Jewish family, but I grew up mm. in Israel. So I always had this sort of uh, weird identity that was kind of, um, you know, I was, I was Israeli, but to my, my, to my friends, I was the American, you know? Um, mm. Not that I have like an American accent in English or anything. It's just like relative to them, I was like yeah. the American. Um, and so I always felt like a little, maybe a little bit neither here nor there in a way. Uh, and, and I think that, um, I think that working on this story working on this podcast and on Israel story has sort of shown me that, that everybody is in that position. Nobody is, nobody is a hundred percent one thing. We're all just like these mixes of, of all kinds of different mm. things, you know, where Israelis and Iraqis were, I mean, especially this is true in general, but especially mm-hmm. in Israel, it's such a young country and everybody's, you know, everybody has an immigration story and there, there's just such a big mishmash of all these different cultures. So everybody is a mix of something in Israel. And I think working on this, um, working on this show has made me feel more at home in my own country, if anything. Mm. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I agree with you. I mm-hmm. think Israel is a really like special mixture again because it's such a young country of course the united states is another example of just such a a melting pot of cultures and ethnicities and languages and all that but of course we've been around for much longer and just uh yeah that changes the way that we identify ourselves yeah um mm, so beautiful what do you see as like the future of the podcast and other i don't know just the future in general very curious um well right now we're sort of in the process of trying to to move from this sort of like uh bootstrapping mode of uh, being this project that's run by run by childhood friends and sort of scram- <laughs> scrambling and killing ourselves over each season to becoming more of like an established organization with um, sort of clear goals and a more stable sort of um, outlook. And, and like now, for example, now we, we just finished season four and we're, we're trying to plan season five and six maybe even looking towards like season seven. So sort of looking ahead uh, more um, kind of, I think our goal is to, to sort of become kind of an establishment, um, which we, we kind of are slowly become, becoming organically, but really like owning up to that. Um, and so that's, that's one thing more in a, more in a internal organizational level, um, so to speak. Um, there's a, a lot of smaller goals, you know, we would love to, we're always looking and we would love to diversify, um, our team as well as like our stories. I mean, that, that's fitting of course to our mission statements and, and what we, what we do in storytelling, but we would love to, um, take on an, an Arab producer and sort of diversify the, mm. as much as we can, the voices of the voices that are telling the stories and not just the the, the people the, the stories we choose to tell so yeah that's those are some of our goals yeah and i mean i mean one thing that it's always a challenge it's an interesting um, dilemma for us so we are we have for a long time really really shied away of uh being considered a jewish podcast um mm-hmm. Because uh, even though Israel is, you know, the Jewish homeland, and um, of course, there's a, Judaism and Israel are, are connected, there are, you know, we, we don't want to be seen as a Jewish po- podcast because we feel that would alienate 
a lot of the people whose stories we're trying to tell. Um, right. So we, we kind of tried to stay clear of that, but but then on the other hand, ninety uh, like ninety two or even more percent of our of our audience is Jewish. I mean, and we kind of realized that that's that that is our our you know that is our core fan base, and that's okay. People Jews are interested in Israel, and that makes sense. And we don't need to shy away from that, and we don't need to be ashamed of that. It's not that we're it's not that we're ashamed in any way of our Jewishness or Judaism. Yes. So maybe one one other general sort of general goal would be to succeed to sort of like grow the circles of our listenership. Sorry, grow the circles of our listenership from uh, from people from like sort of Jewish communities and people who are intrinsically interested in Israel to just you know people who love good stories and are podcast fans in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have there been people that have, that you know of that have like reached out to you to say this, um, who have found your podcast, who have been just completely in no way like d- connected to, or like related with Israel or with Judaism, just like, yeah, 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 a yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we have a lot what of, what is those. their reaction to it? A lot of people, um, I like, I, I remember we, we, we have these live shows that we do. Um, so we, we, me and Mishi, we kind of, we go all over the U.S. Uh, doing both like sort of these more intricate live shows where we have like a whole band of musicians and stuff. And it's like an ex- kind of live radio extravaganza. And we also go around doing like workshops and presentations. So we, we, meet, we meet a lot of the listeners. And I remember there was one, I think, Indian uh, professor we met at a, at a gig we had in Cambridge or something. Not in Cambridge, in uh, Princeton. And uh, he was like an uh, Indian engineer or something like that, that heard our story on Radiolab and just was hooked and, and became a big fan. And it was, it was so cool just to, to hear him talk about, you know, how he loved Israel and the story. He kind of fell in love with Israel through the podcast because he, mm. he didn't care about Israel so much. But then all of a sudden, he liked the podcast, so he started hearing all these stories. So that was, that, that's really fulfilling to hear something like that, to be able to introduce Israel to people that's that i mean that to me that's amazing because usually people will be introduced to israel through uh usually either through conflict you know they'll they'll mm-hmm. hear about some terrorist attack or they'll read an article about some uh, house in gaza that the military demolished and the family right. that was that was killed or or some sort of bad connotation from you know either the left or the right or else they'll uh, they'll hear about israel in some uh, high-tech or business conference or, or, you know, an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about the Israeli innovation and the next uh, cherry tomato or what have you, you know? <laughs> um, so to me, that's really awesome when we can, like, introduce Israel. We, 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 can, we can actually be the introduction to people to Israel. It's like, oh, you, you get a very different perspective, I think, listening to our stories and the usual sort of way people talk about Israel. Mm, that, yeah, that is so special because, mm-hmm. as you said, it's like Jewish people already have a connection to Israel, many of us. And so that it's easy for someone like me to see Israel's story on iTunes and be intrigued and want to listen to all of your episodes in one day. But for someone else who has no relationship with Israel whatsoever to, yeah, again, to get that introduction to Israel through the lens of storytelling is so powerful, so special. I think that's sort of a similar thing to what like, um, oh shoot, I'm forgetting his name. Is it Andrew, someone who does Humans of New York? You know Humans of New York? I do know. I mean, I know the, the Instagram account. I don't know the, I don't know the person behind it. 
Yeah, I'm for, I want to say it's Andrew someone, but I forget. He like this photographer going around Israel or, or Israel going yeah. around New York and um photographing people and like getting their stories and I think and he has also such a beautiful wide range of people that he's speaking to and he's also gone around the world and done this. And one of the things that he did actually a few years ago was go to Syria and speak with people who were fleeing the country or who were being forced out of the country and um yeah, and just getting their stories and I think based on like what I've read about it and even just like reading people's comments on Facebook about it and whatnot was so powerful of like people saying, you know, they used to not want Syrian refugees to come to the United States. And now just hearing it from a storytelling perspective, like completely changes their mind of like, oh, it's a human being who wants to protect their family and needs somewhere else to go. That isn't the country that's supposed to be taking care of them. Yeah. I think, I think in general, I mean, there's storytelling is the most effective way to sort of, um, disarm um you know stereotypes and uh and sort of negative sort of racial biases um and also mm-hmm. and also just more, more than that it's it's the best way to sort of disarm ourselves from our preconceptions honestly because um Ooh, yeah. I, mean, I mean i'll give you an example we had a we had a story that we aired about a friend of mine who was a an air train refugee uh who who got to israel um, and he has a, just a beautiful story about actually about falling in love with uh, Anne Frank in a in a refugee uh, library camp in Ethiopia, and translating oh, wow. translating her diary to Tigrinya, which is the Eritrean wow. Eritrean language. And he's just a beautiful, inspiring guy. Um, and when we aired that story, um, it first aired in Hebrew. It aired in English as well. It's uh, it's called I think in English it's called uh, Anne Frank leaves Africa or something like that. It's one of, one of our mm. early English episodes. Anyway, when we aired it in Hebrew, um, at the time it was at the height of a, of, of a very like the, the issue of the African asylum seekers um, slash refugees slash um, immigrants, depending on you know which side of the of the argument you come from. It was incredibly divisive. People were really up in arms about you know. On the one hand, you had like lots of people saying, you know, we should kick these Africans out. Um, they're bringing diseases. They're they're bringing uh, they're bringing the the, the um, you know the criminal rates up. Um, mm. They're they're not refugees. They're just coming to work. They're taking mm. jobs from Israelis. All I mean, I'm sure this sounds very familiar to you. All these arguments. Yeah. Same, same thing, exactly. Um, and then on the other, the other side, you had all these activists who were saying, like, you know, as a land, that, as a country that was built out of the ashes of the Holocaust, we have a moral responsibility to take them in. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is, you know, a, a, a shame on our country, the way we're treating them, blah, blah, blah. It was really, there were very heated debate and arguments around this topic. Um, and we aired the story of Ikalo. And in a way, you could think that we're taking sides, but we got zero negative responses for the story. Wow. Um, and I think the reason is, like, literally no, not even one person wrote to, to say, why are you giving these uh, uh, people, uh, you know, a, a, a mic? And, like, they, we got zero of that. Mm. I think some of it, obviously, is because of the Anne Frank connection. It makes it hard, you know? It's kind of like, oh, he loves Anne Frank. It's hard to criticize him, but... A lot of it is because we didn't at any point say, yeah, you know, these people are, they're really refugees. We need to take good care of them. 
um, we weren't trying to make any point or, or the other way, you know, we, he's not, a, he's actually not a refugee. He can, you know, find, find work elsewhere. He could have stayed in Egypt or in any one of the stations along the way. We didn't say any of that. We were just like, you know, there's this guy, Kahlo, and this is his story. Just, you know, have a listen. Mm. Um, and so it's very hard to, it's very hard to, you know, it's like a, it's very slippery if you want to start criticizing that. It's, it's more slippery. Like, what are you going to hold on to here? It's just, this is the guy's life. What do you want? Mm. You know? It's yeah. not an op-ed. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I want to listen, go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, I know. And, and, and that, and then it's, it's the, the way I say it's like disarming because almost without wanting to, you, you sort of find yourself uh, widening your perspective, you know? Yeah. So let's say even if you're like a very left-leaning person, you hear you like we can I'm, I'm working on a story now about uh, a friend of my sister's who is a really a hardcore settler um and she lives in one of the most hardcore like west bank settlements called Itzhar. um mm-hmm. and the story is actually about she she actually works with horses she's a she's like a horse horse therapist i mean she does she does therapy with kids and stuff with horses and the story is about um about these horses that she had in, in the Gaza Strip, actually, and how she, how they were, I'm not, I can't go into the whole story, but the story is about her and her relationship to animals, and she's an incredibly beautiful and compassionate and interesting person. And my hope is that, you know, people will listen to that story, especially people who are, like, when I, when I write and work on a story like that, I'm, my audience, my imagined uh, listener is, is a left-wing, uh, you know, um, New Yorker or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and my hope is that he'll listen to that. And I'm like, huh, you know, I, oh, I had, yeah. I had one, I had one, I, I had sort of one, I, had, I thought settlers were one thing, but maybe it's not that clear cut. Mm-hmm. Not that simple. There's some quotes that is something along the lines of like, as proximity decreases, so does connection. And that, yeah, like when we're further away from people, both either emotionally or physically, of course, it's harder for us to connect to them. And that's, that's one of my like challenges with Israel is that like, it does feel so segregated in so many ways. It is so segregated in so many ways. And, Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's not just Israel. So many places around the world, most places around the world are quite segregated in ways that um, I think a lot of people don't even realize. And yeah, it's like, how can I empathize with a settler if I don't know anything about who they are? And totally. all I can see is like, oh, they're a settler and that's it. That's all I see. So it's, yeah, so important. And it's challenging. It's confronting. It's, uh, but yeah, it does disarm us whether we want it to or not. I think there's the the Steinbeck quote or something uh, that um, getting to know someone always leads. I think it's, I mean, you'll have to double check this, but I think it's, uh, <laughs> getting to know someone always leads to understanding and almost always leads to love. Mm, yeah. So beautiful. What is something that you wish more people knew about Israel? Hmm. Wow. So many things. I don't know <laughs> if I can go on one thing. <laughs> you can give me a list. One thing, one thing I think people don't realize is how secular Israel is. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's not, it's not clear cut. On the one hand, Israelis are very secular on the one on the other hand also very traditional so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of this weird mix you know um, when when Israel was created obviously a, every a lot of people a lot of different people will have different takes on this but 
some of the early Zionists, they had even, I mean, this was actually like their literal goal, was that Israel would be the place where um, a Jew could just be a Jew out of, uh, you know, the fact that he just is born in Israel. He yeah. wouldn't have to do anything. Uh, he's just, that's it, he's Jewish. Like, a, like an American is an American, or a French is a French, because he's born in, you know, France and speaks French, and that's it, he's just French. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some respects, that was sort of the dream of Israel, you know? Um, and it's, it, it has like very, very secular, it has a very, very secular element at its core, um, even though it's also very, very traditional. And I think it's very mm-hmm. complicated to understand that. Um, one of the, one, our, our like sort of, uh, what is it called? Poet laureate, uh, like mm-hmm. national, is that what it's called? Like the national yeah. poet um, is, is Chaim Nachman Bialik. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is a guy who grew up uh, ultra-Orthodox in the yeshiva, etc., and um, had a sort of awakening and, and left the yeshiva, became secular, um, and um, lived, lived a completely secular life. I mean, he didn't keep kosher. He, you know, he didn't keep Shabbat strictly or any of those things. Um, but uh, when, his, when his picture was uh, displayed in the photography shop in Tel Aviv, that opened on Shabbat, he was outraged and he demanded that his picture be taken away from the window because this shop opens on Shabbat. So I'm, mm. I'm just telling the story to, so that's, that's one thing, just how complicated Israel's relationship, relationship to religion is. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing I think that's interesting, uh, maybe people need to realize is that I think it's a similar sort of awakening to what America has been going through. And, you know, obviously things, things always come to Israel in like a 10 year delay from America or something like that. So <laughs> there used to be this notion of, of the melting pot and, you know, everybody's going to come and we're just going to blend them all into one, uh, one identity and, uh, and be one big happy family. Um, yeah. and I think in recent years that there's a realization that, uh, People want to also hold on to their original identities um, and that that is important and that we're searching for a way to, you know, be united and uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, also leave space for sort of individual um, identities to form. Um, and our, our president, uh, Ruby Rivlin, actually came out with a really inspiring speech in which he, I think, very correctly pointed out that Israel has become a four-tribe society. So essentially, the Israeli society is divided into religious Zionists, ultra-Orthodox, secular, and Arab people. Hmm. And um, huh. yeah, of course, every of course every one of these sectors can be you know subdivided, etc., uh, etc. Et but those are sort of I think that's that is a very uh, smart, acute uh, sort of way to look at Israeli society and uh and there's a very big challenge for us to be able to bridge these divides because each one of those groups comes with a very very different sort of uh, philosophical outlook on life mm-hmm. and on, on how things should be yeah I think a lot of what you're saying like the um people not knowing that Israel is first of all, very secular and also that it is so complicated. Like it is not just very secular. There's like so much happening in terms of its identity with, with religion and, and yeah, just how people interpret faith there. Um, it's so amazing. And a lot, I staff a lot of um, birthright trips, Taglit trips to Israel. I do this like two or three times a year. And 
every time like one of the main things I hear in terms of first impressions is people saying like I can't believe that not everyone is wearing the big black hats and that some people here like don't celebrate all of the Jewish holidays and I think people feel that it's much more inviting than they expected it to be um and thinking that you know only a certain type of Jewish person belongs in Israel um and instead knowing like there are lots of different Jewish people in Israel and a lot of non-Jewish people in Israel and all of them belong. Um, and it's, yeah, and, and it's highly complicated also that all of those people do belong in one space. It's very, it brings a lot of challenges to the country. Um, but that's what makes it so special and a really unique place. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? Yom Kippur I, is the day I miss Israel the most uh, mm-hmm. for the past years living abroad. Uh, and people, when I say that, people think that I miss, uh, I don't know, the holiness that envelops the country <laughs> and everybody wrapping themselves in talitot and going to shul. But, <laughs> but actually, the most amazing thing about Yom Kippur is that I, I don't think it's a law or anything, but just nobody drives. Even though, see, yeah. this is, this is uh, apropos what I was saying about everybody being secular, but it's in weirdly traditional. The, the country shuts down completely. That means mm-hmm. you, you you go on the street and instead of hearing like sort of like hustle and bustle and cars and buses and that, you just hear like the murmur of people because everybody goes out to the street and people are like walking around and it's known as the bicycle holiday because kids are just biking on the highways, yes. you know? So it's just like, there are like, you know, literally tens of thousands of people on the street. And, you know, I, I have a friend who goes, who does a bicycle trip up to, up to Jerusalem and back on the highway. And, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And we, I just spent all Yom Kippur just on the street, walking around, um, mm. taking that in because it's, it's really incredible. It's really incredible. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. You know, I was just in Israel like up until four days ago and now I like miss it so much already just <laughs> hearing you say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Um, well, I want to be mindful of our time here. Um, and I would love for you to, Tell everyone, uh, everyone listening, where we can find out more about you and your team and about Israel Story. Uh, sure, sure. So, I mean, please feel free to check us out. Uh, we're available. Our, our podcast in English is available wherever you get your podcast, as they say. Um, you just need to look for Israel Story. That's like a singular one story. Sometimes people get mixed up. Um, so, Israel Story. Um, our website is israelstory.org. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'd love to, to hear from you and check out our feed. You can, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under Israel Story. Amazing. Yes. And, of course, just go to Israel and hear some stories first person. Also a great, a great yeah, way to do it. Less sure. cost-effective way, but still uh, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so, so much, Yochai. It's like really such a, a gift to be able to speak with you. And again, like to, to hear one of the voices that is producing all of these other voices coming into the world and letting everyone know about the, the multitude of, of lives in, in yeah. Israel and everything that's happening there. So I'm super grateful for you and your team and the work that all of you are doing. And thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to speak with me. Sure. Thank you very much, Kayla. It was my pleasure and um, honored and happy to, to participate. 
All right, everyone. Thank you so much if you've made it this far. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Yochai Maital. Again, definitely check out the Israel Story podcast if you get a chance. It is amazing and incredible storytelling podcast. And check out the event, the connection event on Facebook. If you look up my name, then you will find it on my Facebook page. It's a public event. And if you can't make it tonight, March 16th, then you can make it to the next one. I'll definitely be hosting more over the next few weeks while we're all taking care of our immune systems at home. I love you all so much. Stay safe. Wash your hands.